You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you for having me. It's really a privilege to be here um, and share with you. So I asked a few Asbury University students what they think about Black History Month. Here are a couple answers. One said this, quote, because I grew up in a predominantly white spaces and was exposed almost exclusively to whitewashed curriculum, I did not get the opportunity to learn about black history. I now celebrate Black History Month because it is important to me to learn about the rich culture and heritage of my black friends and the black community as a whole." End of quote. Here's the second one. Oftentimes, people think of black history as just for African American, but it encompasses everyone, every race, every nation. Even as an African, I understand that my history is found in black history. And I think when we take time to look at the past and acknowledge and grieve it, then we have a better chance of doing our best to make sure the future looks nothing like that. As an African, I don't know as much about African-American history as the average black American. This time allows me to pause, to learn, and recognize the suffering, the sacrifice that many who look like me made in the past. It gives me the strength and the pride to hopefully do the same." End of quote. Black History Month helps us to take a trip down history lane and remember what happened so we do not repeat the mistakes of the past. According to African-American historian Dr. Carter G. Woodson, who was the father of black history, he says Black History Month is a time for, quote, Blacks to be proud of their heritage and to educate Americans about African-American contributions to society." End of quote. Woodson created what he called Negro History Week. It was just a week, and he created that in 1926. He chose the second week of February because it was the birthday for Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Uh, but in 1976, Negro History Week officially became Black History Month. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. And we pray that you will help us in this journey to become kingdom-oriented people. Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So for me, as a Christian black woman, Black History Month is a call to inclusivity, equality, equity. It's a time for Christians to remember that God's kingdom includes all. Our passage today is Galatians 3.28. It says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
Salvation is given to all. God's Spirit falls on all. Heaven is home to all. We are called God's children. We are part of the family of God. When we all come to God, we all come on the same basis. There is no favoritism with God. No, there is none. The image of heaven that we get in Revelation is that of all peoples, all tongues, all tribes, all nations. Jesus paid by his blood to welcome us all, all races, all ethnic groups, all nations. He welcomes us all into his family. His sacrifice bought our redemption. So as God's children, we need to remember that our unity in Christ doesn't make us invisible. I want to say that again. Our unity in Christ doesn't make us invisible. There are traits that distinguish males from females, Jews from Gentiles, whites from blacks, Japanese from Chinese, northern Congolese tribes, where I'm from, from southern Congolese tribes, and we can go on and on. It is important for each person and each people group to be seen and heard for who they are. God created us human beings in his image, and each one of us is unique and beautiful. We are called to accept one another in the complexity and the beauty of who each individual is. We're called to be cordial, respectful, hospitable, to welcome one another. When we welcome someone, we start by seeing and acknowledging the person. We accept and affirm them, and we get to know them, and they get to know us. But sometimes we can welcome without getting too close to the person. Have I kept someone or some of people's, God's people at arm's length? Have I ignored my blind spots? Have I been prejudiced against someone on the basis of their race, their skin color, their ethnic group, their social class, the way they walk or talk, even the way they laugh? the clothes they wear, the food they eat, I can go on and on. Have I? Have you? Welcoming those who are different from us leads us into repentance, a place where we acknowledge our own mistakes, our failures, in seeking to reach out to those who are different from us, our reluctance in getting too close, too involved. Welcoming others is an important step on the road to reconciliation. The next step is to embrace the other person, our brother or sister in Christ, the person who is different from us. There is a difference between welcoming and embracing. When we move from welcoming to embracing, we are really walking on the path to reconciliation. We are accepting one another on equal basis as Christ accepted us. When my husband Craig comes into the kitchen after exercising and embraces me, of course I return the embrace, but I can tell you that I get close to Craig, okay? Uh, it means that I get as close as to touch him and smell him. To embrace someone 
we have to get close enough to touch the person, to see them for who they are, to recognize their qualities and weaknesses, to acknowledge their uniqueness, to learn from them, and vice versa. God is calling us from a welcoming to an embracing of the other person. And the, for the purpose of Black History Month, God is calling us blacks and whites. God is calling us people of all colors, all shapes, all sizes, to embrace one another in Christ. It is a process. It's not something that happens just overnight. But as we look to Jesus, he will help us to overcome the obstacles on the road and become a family in Christ. Black History Month reminds us that we are on a journey to freedom. Freedom from our biases, our fears, our blinders, our thoughts of inferiority or our thoughts of superiority, and sometimes freedom from ourselves. Yes, we are on a journey as God's children. My PhD is in African-American history. I looked at the lives of African-American women during what is called the Reconstruction period after the Civil War. The title of my dissertation is A New Life Before Us. It is a quote by Susie King Taylor, and it was penned on the onset of the Reconstruction period. Susie King Taylor was the first black army nurse, and she was also the only black woman to publish a memoir of her Civil War experiences. Her book is called Reminiscences of My Life in Camp, an African-American Woman's Civil War Memoir. It was published in 1902. I want to share a little bit about her life and a few things that we can learn from her. So Susie was born a slave in Georgia. She was the eldest of nine siblings. As an African, as a Congolese, I understand that. Nine is maybe the definition of medium uh, size family. And then if, you know, your father has two, three wives, you can have 30 siblings. So it's something that happens. It's not happening a lot now. Anyway, so Susie was the eldest of nine siblings. And at the age of seven, she and two of her siblings came to live in Savannah with her grandmother. While she was there, she learned how to read and write in an underground school. The school was taught by a free black woman, and the lady gave all the learning and schooling that she got, she gave it to the students, and she came to a point where she said, well, I don't have anything else to give. Susie was fortunate enough that her friend, her white friend, who was about the same age, a teen, decided to teach her for about four months. Now this white friend, with her mother's approval, put her life in danger by teaching a slave. She decided not to sit by and do nothing. She used what was available to her to say no to a system that enslaved human beings. Today, we have many things in our culture that go against God's ideal of welcoming and embracing all people. What am I doing or not doing? What are you doing or not doing? 
What are we doing to take a stand against the culture teaching us that one race, one ethnic group, one social class is better than the other? Can we start as small as Susie's friend? Listen to God's nudging and take that first step towards welcoming another person, maybe a person who looks different from you. When Susie was 14, she married Sergeant Edward King and was hired as a laundress in the 33rd U.S. Colored Troop Infantry Regiment. Yes, she was 14. My mom was married. She was about 14. So these are things that happened. So when Susie was in, um, in the troops, as she was walking and going from one place to another with them, she served as a nurse. She was also a teacher. She taught children by day and taught adults by night. And she also said that she was able to, quote, to take a gun all apart and put it together again, end of quote. Even though she worked for four years, she worked without pay. But she says this in her book. She said, I was glad, however, to be allowed to go with the regiment to take care for the sick and afflicted comrades. Susie had a big heart, and she was devoted to helping others. After war, Susie and the freed African-American slaves were looking forward to a new life, hence the title of my book, uh, of my, my dissertation. What kind of life were they hoping for? Well, I was a war, ref a war refugee, so as a war refugee, I would think they were looking forward to a time of healing. The country has been going through a lot. Uh, they were looking forward to a time of freedom, of rebuilding, of racial reconciliation, a life where all Americans will be free and enjoy equal rights, a life that was going to bring a future and a hope. Unfortunately, that dream was short-lived the happiness of emancipation was turned into what historian Henry Allen Bullock calls the detour, a time of Jim Crow laws that spanned from 1877 to about to the mid-1950s. Susie says this. She says, quote, we thought our race was forever freed from bondage and that the two races could live in unity with each other. But in this land of the free, we are burned, tortured, denied a fair trial. There is no redress for us from a government which promises to protect all under its flag." End of quote. Today, we still experience some of the negative effects of the detour. To cite two examples, that happened less than a year ago. On March 13, 2020, Brianna Taylor was killed in her apartment. And two months later, George Floyd's cry of, I can't breathe, shocked America while he died. Having been redeemed by Christ, it is always time to repent and stand up with our brothers and sisters there is hope for the future. Susie King Taylor was a friend to all, blacks and whites. 
And she invites us to look to God for justice and compassion and to look to the future with hope. In the conclusion to her book, she says, I know I shall not live to see the day, but it will come. The day the South will be like the North, and when it comes, it will be prized higher than we prize the North today. God is just. When he created man, he made him in his image and never intended one should misuse the other. All men are born free and equal in his sight. End of quote. Susie was dreaming of a day when blacks and whites in the U.S. will embrace one another. May we live our daily life bringing her vision to pass. May we be people who, by God's grace, one, will remember that Christ sacrificed for us all. The Lord Jesus has not only welcomed us, he embraced us. He got so close that he became one of us, a human being. He walked among us, ate with us, cried with us, helped us, touched us, healed us, and ultimately died for us. His example is what we need to follow. We are the body of Christ. When we divide against one another, we are tearing Christ's body apart. And that hurts. And God's heart hurts. May we be, number two, may we be the people who will, by God's grace, repent of our sin of division. Peter and Cornelius belong to two very different worlds. Most Roman oppressed Jews, and most Jews despised Roman colonizers. I understand that. Congo was colonized by French people, and there's been bad blood between the Congo, Republic of Congo, and France. And so there are many French people who look down on Congolese, and there are many Congolese who despised French because of the history that happened between us. Yet, Jesus taught Peter that all people have value in his sight. Peter says in Acts 10.28, he says, You are all aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Peter learned a lesson, and God is inviting us to learn the same lesson today. May we be, number three, may we be the people who will, by God's grace, embrace one another in Christ, the people who will cherish our distinctiveness and unity in Christ, the people who will learn from one another and look out for one another. The Bible has quite a lot of verses talking about one another's. I just want to give you a sample of some of the things that I got. So, the Bible says, love one another, pray for one another, be at peace with each other, 
honor one another, be devoted to one another, accept one another, stop passing judgment on one another, instruct one another, serve one another, carry each other's burdened, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgive each other, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, build each other up, encourage one another, do not slander one another, confess your sins to each other, and so on. May it be so for us. May we learn to become the students, the staff, the professors, the people who embrace one another in Christ. Lord, help us. Amen.